You filled your belly. I couldn't eat another thing. I'm absolutely stuffed. Now fill your brain with lightning knowledge. What can I do to speed the whole thing up, doctor? This is Lightning Lunch, a full hour of lightning talk with lightninginsider.com's Eric Erlinson. Did you see the memo about this? On Lightning Power Play. We're back. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Erlinson, your host from lightninginsider.com, as well as the co-host of the Last Call post-game show. You can hear after most road games, and that does include tonight, myself and Greg Linelli, as the Lightning are finally back in action. 8 p.m. start in Dallas to face the Stars. That game, here's your PSA, is on NBC Sportsnet. Not Sun Sports, NBC Sportsnet. Uh, so that is a nationally broadcast game tonight coming out of the break for both teams. Tampa Bay, of course, has not seen the ice since the 17th of January when they pummeled the Winnipeg Jets 7-1. to Anthony Sorelli had that hat trick. Uh, just to refresh your memory, just in case it has been a long time since we have seen this team on the ice and talked about this team in terms of their their play and everything like that. So we haven't even been on the air uh, with this show anyway uh, in a week. And then, of course, uh, I hope you enjoyed the programming that myself and Greg put together for you again called Power Lunch, where we had a bunch of really good guests, including some of the inner workings of the organization with Al Murray and Jamie Pusher, who's the director of pro scouting. Uh, Matthew Darsh, who's the VP of, uh, or Director of Hockey Operations, rather. Uh, some good insight into some of the insides, uh, what goes on in the organization in terms of amateur scouting, pro scouting, trade deadlines, salary cap, all that stuff. Of course, Brian Engblom was with us as well. Stacy Roost, uh, GM of the Syracuse Crunch, assistant GM of the Lightning, was on the show. And then we had Tyler Mataraz from Sirius XM NHL radio on the show as well. So I hope you enjoyed all of that programming. It was a lot of fun for us to put together. Uh, it's It feels like it's been forever since we've been together here on these digital... I can't even call them airwaves, can you, Connor? They're not airwaves. Are they digital something or other. Um, but it, it, it feels like it has been a long time. Uh, I will be honest with you, though, folks. I enjoyed the little mini break. I did. I'm not going to lie about that. Had family in town. My wife's family was in from Ohio last weekend. So it was nice to be able to get to spend some time with them. Took advantage of a rare Saturday off with no hockey and no soccer on my son's part. So we headed over to Hollywood Studios for the day. And I'm not here to pump Disney World in any way, but I am going to let you know that we did ride Rise of the Resistance. It's been open since December 6th, and uh, I don't want to get too much into it to spoil it for anybody. Uh, I know if our good friend Tyler Moore is listening, he's going to nod his head in, a, in a approval in a minute as I say this. There is no ride or experience in a th a amusement parks as there is Rise of the Resistance. There's none. It is just stunning. It's an extremely immersive experience. And um, if you ever get the chance, I suggest you find a way 
to, if you're, especially if you're a Star Wars fan in any way, shape, or form. And I wouldn't consider myself a huge Star Wars fan, but I do enjoy the, the franchise for sure. You have to go see it. Now, you have to get there early. We woke up at 5.30 on Saturday morning to drive over there. You have to be there when the park opens to just to be able to have a chance to get on it with this virtual queue system that they have. But um, have to have to get a, uh, an opportunity to to find a way to get on that ride. It's just it's unbelievable. Uh, all right, Lightning are back in action tonight. As I said, they're in Dallas. It's an 8 p.m. puck drop uh, on NBC Sportsnet. And a lot of good things for this team heading into the break. 12-2 and two in their last 14 games. Finished the 13 games in 21 days with an 11-2 and two record. A lot of good numbers, and we'll get into those here in a little bit. Uh, I do want to look back before we get too deep into looking ahead at the All-Star game over the weekend. I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, we also have a poll running up on the Bolts Radio Twitter feed that myself and Greg will be discussing here in the next couple of days, including today. Uh, so if you want to participate in that poll, go to the Bolts Radio Twitter tag. That's at Bolts Radio. And the question we have for you, which player needs to have a strong second half for the Lightning? And your choices are Yanni Gord, Tyler Johnson, Ryan McDonough, and then the elusive other. And if you have an other... Let us know who you think that is that we don't have on this list. Uh, this poll will run for a couple of more days. So we'll discuss the final results uh, probably on Wednesday. I think this is scheduled to run through uh, right up to close to game time on Wednesday for the game in L.A. Uh, for the lighting. So if you have an opportunity, just put your vote in. There's 200 votes in so far. If you have an opinion on this, leave a comment at the bottom of it. We can discuss it. Both myself and Greg uh, can discuss it because Greg has uh, Lightning Power Play live for you. Uh, he'll be on the airwaves at 6.30 tonight. The pregame show start will, will start at 7.30. And, of course, the broadcast is at 8. Dave Michigan, Kelly Chelios scheduled to be on the call for you on the radio side. So if you want to listen to the home team, by all means, just keep it right here on Lightning Power Play. As I've said in the past, you've probably heard me say this before, if you're new to listening to the show, this will be new information for you. If you hit pause on your television or on your stream, however you're watching the game, if you pause it right as opening face-off occurs to start the game, and then you hit play as soon as you hear Dave Mishkin say the puck is down and then you can sync up your power play audio to the television broadcast if you'd like to listen to Dave and Kaylee on the call I want to look back at the weekend and the all-star game and you know as it does every year the all-star game brings out plenty of critics there's people who think that uh, you should just do away with the all-star game that there's no reason to have it, that it's boring, it's dull. And 
you know what? There's there's some merit, I think, in a lot of ways to that argument. But as I've seen a couple other people, and this is absolutely true, and you've heard me talk about this a little bit before, All-Star Weekend is not about the game. It's not even showcasing the game. It's showcasing the league. It showcases the league. It's not showcasing the game. The skills competition, I think, is actually probably the most fun part of All-Star Weekend. The game itself, even with the three-on-three format and the tournament and the prize money, it's, you know, it, it, the game is what the game is. Did it amp up a little bit in the final? Sure it did. Did Victor Hedman have a good weekend? Yes, he did. Did Andre Vasilevsky have a good weekend? Came out of an injury-free. That's a win in my definition. Little razzle dazzle with Vasilevsky on Friday. Little behind the back glove save on Matt Barzell on that save challenge that the league puts on. So there certainly are plenty of critics who don't like any of that, and that's fine. But when you, what you have to understand, I think, in a lot of ways, of all-Star Weekend, the showcase it is, is who the audience is. Because the audience, I'm not the audience. There's a good chance if you're listening to the show, you're not the target audience. Uh, I don't know this. This is not anything I've seen, no research. I don't protest to be in, in deep knowledge of this. But I can pretty much say this in confidence that the demographics for the All-Star Weekend are probably 14 and under. 8 to 12 is probably it, right? Like This is why everybody talks about well, why does a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi end up in the All-Star game? Because the NHL wants 8-year-old whoever in Detroit to tune into the game because they want to see their guy in the All-Star game. They want to see a player from the, the team that they cheer for represented. That's why you have a representative from every team, at least chosen. I don't think there was anybody from Anaheim that ended, ended up uh, participating this weekend because Jacob Silverberg, uh, I believe, dropped out for, uh, I believe his wife was uh, scheduled to have a baby over the weekend, so he opted out of it. So I think he was the only Anaheim player that was going to go. Uh, but that's what you have to keep in mind as you watch what took place over the weekend. In the NHL, they experiment with this a lot. We've seen so many different type of competitions in the skills competition. Different variations, different... You know, they're trying to find something that works. Obviously, the hardest shot competition is probably the marquee event, if you will, of the weekend. Shea Weber ending up winning that. What did he have? 105.1, I think he had, was his shot. Martin Frick, by the way, 
don't know if anybody caught this. Martin Frick set the record at the AHL All-Star Game Skills Competition last night. He registered 109 on the hardest shot competition. That breaks Adeno Chara's record by about a mile per hour, which is unbelievable. And Martin Frick, if you remember last year in Detroit when Dan Girardi appeared to take a puck off the head, it was off the stick of Martin Frick. And I think Girardi even mentioned it afterwards. He realized who it was and, uh, you know, the danger that is there with a guy who can shoot the puck that hard. You know, Shea Weber certainly has a hard shot. Chara has a hard shot. Nobody has a 109-mile-an-hour shot. But Frick was the guy who fired the puck that hit Dan Girardi. Actually ended up being in the, the neck area. Um last year, so that was a scary sight. Uh, but Martin Frick did that yesterday at the AHL skills competition. The AHL All-Star Game tonight is is tonight, by the way, at 8 o'clock. It seems odd that they're actually doing it on a night where the NHL has games, but they will uh, have that tonight. Two Syracuse players participating, Alex Barry-Boulay and Cameron Gauntz, who was a late addition the defenseman, will take part in that game. But the skills competition as a whole, all right, to me, the biggest event over the weekend was the three-on-three -three women's challenge. That was really fun. I think in a lot part because the the players, that meant something. It meant a lot to the players. There's no doubt. The women's game has not had that type of a showcase outside of the Olympics. You know, think about how it registered last year when Kendall Coyne Scone took part in the fastest skater competition. And and the buzz that that created. So the NHL took it one step further this year, put the, the women's game in its own little spotlight with two three-on-three ten-minute periods with a, with a continuous clock between ten... So 10 or 11 players, Canadian players, U.S. players, wearing the NHL uh, jersey. That was really, really cool to see. And you can, as I just mentioned, what the demographic is for the All-Star Weekend. You can imagine how seeing that register with a lot of 8, 9, 10-year-old girls around North America, around the world. And I was asked, I did a little impromptu Q&A on my Twitter feed during the skills competition, and one of the questions was, do you think that there will be a women's league in the near future? Well, there are, there are women's leagues, the NWHL. I think the other one is a CWHL. One of them is under, they're not playing right now, the other one is. And whether or not the NHL will get involved, I, I think that there's a there is a plan there in place. It's not made public. I don't know any specific knowledge of it. But you can't tell me that the league hasn't seen the way that it's resonated the last couple of years implementing female players into All-Star Weekend and don't think that they don't have a bigger picture in mind. Might take some time. 
In fact, it will take some time. There are logistical things to sort out. There are legal issues to sort out. The NHL has said they will not uh, intervene as long as there are other professional leagues around. The NWHL is going forward with their plans to continue playing. So we'll see how that, all that works out. But I would have to think that there's a three- to a five-year plan in place regarding this and that the showcase like this was a step in that direction. I think at some point I wouldn't be shocked if there isn't some sort of WNHL similar to the WNBA. I don't know on what scale. I don't know who would be involved, anything like that, but I wouldn't be surprised at some point if the NHL puts their name behind that. It just it just makes a lot of sense. MLS does this as well. You have the NWSL, including a franchise over in Orlando. Marta's a part of that team. Alex Morgan's a part of that team. Allie Krieger. So it, it, to me, it just makes sense. Now, the other thing that the league tried new over the weekend was this shooting stars competition. And you heard me talk about this a uh, week before last, about inspired by the Penguins video that used Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby shooting pucks from the, above the stands down onto the ice below. I, I think I'm in the majority here, or minority, in saying this, I, I kind of liked that competition. I, I think it, it has some things that they need to work out. The introductions and having the players walk up, I think that took too long. I think if it kind of dragged out a little bit when the players are up there. But I think what needs to change is how quickly we know whether or not the players hit targets. There was that whole issue with that one that had the arch on it. There were pucks that were hitting behind and then making the net move and making plenty of people, not just on TV, but even in the arena, think that that was a point register. So I think it has potential. I think it has a lot of potential. I like the idea that it's the last event because players are obviously not going to be in their skates. I think it was really great that they included two of the, f the women's players, Hillary Knight from the U.S., Marie-Philippe Poulain, from Canada took part in it as well. I, I think that that has a lot of potential. Don't know where it'll lead, but it has a lot of potential. And of course, the game itself. The Atlantic ends up getting to the championship game, end up losing 5 4 to the Pacific. Andre Vasilevsky was the goaltender in the second part of that quote unquote championship game. But Victor Hedman, I think, did I see what he finished with two goals and five points? I think it was one off David Posternock. Him, him, Posternock, David Posternock, and Jack Eichel were the trio that were out in the All-Star game. So, again, if you're, if you're going into All-Star weekend with the expectation is that it's a showcase for hockey, it's not. It's a showcase for the NHL. It's an opportunity for the NHL to showcase their players. This is why I have a problem with a lot of the players backing out. 
and it was addressed again by Bill Daly, there is concern of this growing trend of players just backing out. The game will be down in Sunrise next year. The league is going to tinker with some things again. There's talk that it's going to go to an international format, similar to what we saw back in the early 2000s when it was the USA or uh, North America versus the world. I believe I read that it's still going to be a three-on-three -three tournament, which is not a surprise. But it's the format's going to be a little bit different. So again, they're always trying to find ways to make it more appealing to everybody. I don't think you can ever get to that point. As P.T. Barnum once said, you can please some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time. You can't please all the people all the time. But they're, they're working. They're trying to make it a more enjoyable experience. Uh, a lot of questions, too, and, and Stephanie uh, asked about this as well just now in regards to the television broadcast where player tracking is coming. The league announced that player tracking will be in place for all playoff games. So each of the 16 venues will have player tracking involved. And then by next year, every rink in the NHL will have it. Uh, so Stephanie's, it was mentioned in NBC's, is the puck tracker and the name tracker will happen during the playoffs. This is not needed and is distracting. Why is the league doing this? Stephanie, the league does this because, again, they're not trying to appeal to the hardcores. So you are not their target audience when breaking this stuff out for television viewing. They want to make the game more appealing to a broader audience. Because let's face it, me, you, others are not going to stop watching games because of this, right? You love the game too much. But, and I, and I don't mind, like, they, they did this for last year's All-Star Game, and they kept the name tracker on the screen too long. That's when it became distracting to me. I didn't mind it over this past weekend because they would flash it up there and then they would take it away. So it wasn't main staying up there, and they didn't have both teams at the same time. So it didn't bother me that much. The puck tracker, uh, you know, that's I, I think that's one of the biggest non-hockey fan mentions when they watch it on TV. They can't follow the puck. That's where this idea comes from. Of course, you go all the way back to the Fox days with the Comet Tail. This, this one was nowhere near as obnoxious as that one was. I don't think it's needed. I, I wasn't a fan of the puck tracker, but what I didn't mind is that when a shot went off, you got registered the speed of it right away. I liked that. I liked how you got more specific, at least it, it felt more specific, actual ice times of players. As we've discussed on this show on more than a few occasions, sometimes the off-ice guys get the ice times wrong. 
As I told you, I went back and watched Carter Verhage's first shift as a rookie from opening night. Two phantom shifts showed up where he was credited for being on the ice when he actually wasn't. And then there was the now uh, well-known fact that Nikita Kucherov in the game against Ottawa when he was benched for the final period plus overtime, ice tracking had him on the ice in the second period for a 90-second shift. Didn't happen. So this is going to be more – because if you watched – the broadcast and you saw the tracker stuff and where it's located it's located in a little thing right around the top part of the shoulder so that stuff is there it's very non-invasive doesn't stand out if you didn't know it was there you wouldn't know it was there so I think that player tracking stuff uh, we'll see where they go there's a lot of exper experimentation that's going to go on with it uh, but it's here to stay it's here to stay. They're trying to appeal to a larger base and a larger audience because they know that people like you and me are going to watch the game anyway. So it's I don't think it's going to take away from the experience, especially if they kind of utilize it the way they did over the weekend where the names were up there. Like It was even less than five seconds, I think. You know, I, I, doesn't, doesn't NBC already do a little bit of this stuff where they will tell you who's on the ice now? I, I mean, it's granted it's up near the box, in the top part of your screen. So it's not as distracting, I guess. But it also doesn't stand out, right? So you, you're not missing, you're not going to miss any of the action now with the player's number and name pop over their head for three seconds. To me, that, that doesn't bother me. That doesn't bother me at all. Uh, the puck did, though. The puck did. Um, and Cody Cody mentions the only thing that bothered him was the dumb tail. I am for everything else except for the puck tail. It was cool on the sauce and lob passes. You could see how high the puck was getting. But besides that, a no-go. Again, they'll experiment around with it for uh, a lot, for sure, moving forward. But... It's here to stay, and now it's just a question of how much they're going to utilize it to moving forward uh, in a lot of ways. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, so that, that's my take on All-Star Weekend. I, I think that uh, including the women, I think, is going to continue moving forward in what capacity. I don't know. I think a lot of people enjoyed the three-on-three. I know I did. That was a lot of fun to watch. So I think that's... I think that's something we'll see again next year. Year after, I don't know because it's an Olympic year. 2022 will be an Olympic year. Of course, the NHL is still up in the air whether or not they're going to participate. Of course, the women will. And that's that's where I look. I kind of envision the league getting more and more involved with the women's game potentially after that 22 2022 Olympics. It's sort of the height of interest from a very broad perspective. So that's that's kind of my, if I were involved in this, and I am not, that's what I would envision, being involved with something like that down the road. All right, let's 
take a break. Uh, continue to send in your questions. Continue to send in your comments. If you have a topic you would like for me to discuss, please send them my way. We will discuss them. Uh, again, we're scheduled to be joined here shortly by Josh Bogorod, Bogorad, pardon me, who is the play-by-play -play voice of the Dallas Stars. Um, he has a couple things he has to take care of after the morning skate uh, before he can join us. So that's going to be kind of a fluid situation on when we can get Josh on the phone. But uh, we are scheduled to be joined by Josh uh, here at some point in the next half an hour uh, as we look ahead to tonight's game against the Dallas Stars. Uh, but we'll continue some of this conversation when we come back right after this. Oh, we've got more lightning talk for you. Unbelievable. Get a heaping helping of hockey with Lightning Lunch. It's your window to wait game. On Lightning Power Play. All right, welcome back to Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Erlinson from lightninginsider.com, your host. And uh, we mentioned that Josh Bogorad was going to join us. And uh, perfect timing. He was available as soon as we went to break. So we have Josh on the phone with us right now from Dallas as the Stars just finished out their morning skate. Josh, good morning. How are you? I appreciate your time. How was the break? Uh, it was really good. It's also really good to be back out here. It was nice to walk into the arena. It's an 82-game schedule. When you're off for eight days, it feels like eight months, so it's good to be back. Yeah, it, it definitely feels that way. I'm sure the players are going to be the same way. It's always interesting. Uh, and, and I think the league has finally gotten it right where two teams coming out of the break face each other, so they're both sort of on the same playing field. But it's going to take a little bit. This should not be expected to be perfect hockey for the first, I don't know, period and a half between these two teams, right? No, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, and uh, Rick Bonus was asked about that this morning, and he said, listen, both teams are going through it. It's a nine-day layoff for Tampa. It's an eight-day layoff for the Stars. And we saw this a little bit over the Christmas break, too. I don't know that you can necessarily say a home team or a road team has the advantage. Um, coming off the Christmas break, that, that first day when the league got back to action on the 27th, Seven of the 11 games, it was the road team that wound up winning. So if you're the road team, you could make the case, okay, you jump on a flight, you head down here, it feels like you're already back into the groove. If you're home, you say, all right, you get the comfort of your home and you just spin it however you want. The bottom line is these games are unpredictable and you don't really know what you're going to get until you drop the puck and find out. And I'm as interested as everybody to see what happens in about seven hours. Well, and you mentioned seven of the 11 teams come out of Christmas break where the road teams won the game. The Lightning were actually down 18 nothing in shots and down 2 nothing on the scoreboard 12 minutes into their first game out of the break here at home. And uh, so they were able to turn things around. But, um, you know, it, it, it can certainly make for interesting as guys try and find their legs a little bit. Um, Josh, last time these two teams faced off against each other, the Stars were getting ready for the, the Winter Classic, and I know you were a part of that. Just kind of how big of an event was that and how cool was it to see an outdoor game there uh, at the Cotton Bowl? It, it floored all expectations, and expectations were really high. Uh, for the city of Dallas, for this organization, for our fan base, for me personally, I, I the best way I can try to explain it is I knew it was going to be cool. I knew it was going to be an incredible event. And then you get there and you experience it, and it just absolutely trumps anything that you thought it could be. It was, it was phenomenal. It was The league did everything right, the team, the city, 
The Cotton Bowl looked amazing. The crowd on both sides, there were 20,000 Predators fans that made the trip, which kind of created that college football atmosphere that they were really trying to capture. Um, the game itself had storylines, and then the comeback with the, the Stars winning was, was terrific for the home side. Uh, the State Fair surrounding it, the big races, which have kind of <laughs> gone on uh, league-wide. It was, it, the, the whole thing was just a spectacular event, and uh, it's something I know nobody who was there will ever forget, and I'm, I'm pretty thrilled to be part of that group. So a lot of people look at these outdoor events now and think, oh, it's kind of routine, it's the same old thing, it's a lot of the same teams have been involved for so long, but when it comes to a new city and it has two new teams involved, and I had to think that had to brought about a different type of atmosphere. Obviously, you haven't been involved with other ones, but just how that kind of the city embraced it and, and, and how the you know Stars fans and everybody else kind of came together to put on such a tremendous event. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. I'm sure it'll be the case in Minnesota next year where they were, they've been thirsting for one. Um, it's hard to speak on a national scale when, when you're not there in every single market. Yep. But I know that for the people here, this, this was something that they recognized how special this was, and they recognized that this wasn't an everyday thing. And when you're talking about a, a franchise that's been here now for over – 25 years in Texas and has won a Stanley Cup and been to multiple Stanley Cup finals and, and seen some incredible milestones in history in the time since the club moved to Dallas to know that undoubtedly that instantly became one of the signature days of this franchise. It speaks volumes to just how well it was embraced here. And so, um, I think that when you do go to new markets, I think you're able to untap something that you can't necessarily get with repeat markets. Um, but that being said, every game tells its own story. I think the fact that it was Central Division rivals um, and not necessarily an East team versus a West team added an element as well. The fact that you couldn't have ever planned this, but the two clubs met in a playoff series last spring that added to it. It just seemed like it was a perfect storm. The weather cooperated, everything, everything that could go right went right for the event. And that includes a, a boisterous fan base that recreated the state fair on January 1st <laughs> with the midway open and then a Ferris wheel rides open. It was, it was just, it was a really special thing for this city and for this team. Again, we're joined by Josh Bogorod, who's the play-by-play -play voice of the Dallas Stars uh, here on Lightning Lunch. Uh, Josh, uh, Dallas went into the break. Uh, they got thumped by Minnesota in their last game. Um, have they been as inconsistent, not as the Lightning, but, uh, you know, they, they had the four-game winning streak, uh, and then they lost three of the last four going into the break. I mean, where, where are the Stars at and kind of where they feel their season's going? I, I think, obviously, it wasn't the way – they wanted to go into the break. It was it was a pretty heavy dose of humble pie to, to go in seven nothing against a division rival. Uh, you know that it wasn't their best effort, and then you latch on the loss to Buffalo right before that, and this team had been going pretty well. It's always an interesting exercise in perspective because where do you want to draw the line? The Stars went into the break losing back-to-back -back games in which they were outscored eleven to one, and that looks absolutely dreadful and then they also went into the break seven and three in their last 10 games 
So it's really a question of what you're looking at. And I think the real answer is over a week off, now all of that just becomes part of a a combined pass. So I think that this team needs to be more consistent offensively. If there is a first-half storyline, this team is just as good defensively as they were last year when they finished second in the league, and now they give up the fewest goals of any team, even with that seven spot. Uh, That's the trademark of this club, and it seems like it will be going forward, but they need more offense because last year they finished 28th in goals for, and right now they sit 27th. So it's kind of a mirror image of where they were. That said, they are a much better-looking team, both on paper and in practice. Uh, than they were at this point last season. It really took a dramatic second-half turnaround to get them into the playoffs and to go on that run to Game 7 of the second round, whereas this year, they're 10 games over 500. It feels like they're much closer to where they want to be, but they'll always feel, until the offense clicks on a level it just hasn't yet, that there's, there's another place that they can take their game to. Uh, as far as inconsistency is concerned, they got off to a dreadful start where they were 1-7-1, and and it looked like their season had the potential to just hemorrhage in October. And they recovered immediately, went on this historic turnaround where they responded going 14-1-1. So if you were watching them through it all, it wasn't as inconsistent as it would look on paper. But then, yeah, you would have these two- or three-game pockets from time to time, but then they'd come out of it and win six in a row or or take points in seven of eight. And so I think now that's the objective. They lost three straight going into the Christmas break. They came out of it winners of five in a row and or, or six in a row and then need to go on a run like that. So I think that this is a similar situation. They have a chance to erase those two games pretty quickly here if they can get a result tonight and then another one on Wednesday. If you come out and pick up where you left off and really struggle against Tampa and struggle against Toronto on Wednesday, then maybe it becomes part of a larger concern and narrative, but the next 72 hours will pretty much hmm. write that story. Well, yeah, I don't want to correct myself. It was a six-game winning streak uh, heading into those, those three out of the four. And, and in, in those six games, they didn't allow more than two goals in any of those six games. How much can they really hang their hat on on how well they can play defensively when they're bearing down? A lot. And, again, that's what made the 7 nothing loss feel like such an anomaly because they had gone eight straight games not allowing more than two goals. And then they lost 4-1 to the Sabres, but two of those goals were empty net goals. So in effect, you're yeah. talking about nine straight games where you don't give up more than two. And then all of a sudden, a team like the Minnesota Wild come in and just ran right through like, like it was two teams from two different leagues playing. And the Stars aren't used to getting run out of that building. But if you want to hang your hat on something, it's that they give up 2.4 goals per game, the fewest in the NHL. And they gave up seven, ironically enough, in their last road game before the, the Christmas break when they lost pretty badly to the Florida Panthers. And then they come out of Christmas and start that stretch that you're talking about. So I think the good thing about this team is with everything they've been through, the, the awful start, the surprise coaching change, some losing streaks, some dreadful nights amidst a really good first half They've been extremely resilient, and if there's one word that's really defined them so far, it's that. 
So I don't think they need to look very far for a blueprint of how to recover from a game in which they gave up seven. That being said, it's not going to be handed to you, and it's certainly not going to be handed to you against an opponent that's in the form that the Lightning are in. So you got to go out there tonight and get it done, and that's what they'll look to do. You mentioned the coaching change there. What have you learned about Rick Bonus as a head coach? Is, is his personality any different now that he's a head coach? Is there anything different he's done with the team uh, since he took over for Jim Montgomery? Absolutely not, and I mean that in the best way. It was it was a strange situation that nobody was prepared for, and Rick is very much included in that group. Um, but the great thing about Rick is he's now joined history. He, he's one of three coaches to coach in five different decades in the NHL, whether it be as a head coach or an assistant coach. And he's he has put together this incredible career, and he was asked that, are you going to change it all? And he, he meets that with a laugh. And he says, guys, at this point in my life and in my career, I am who I am. And hopefully it's helped get me to where I am. I, I think Tampa fans know that very well. But he's the exact same guy as a head coach as he was as an assistant. And I think that'll be the exact same guy he is when eventually he leaves the game, which I don't think will be for quite some time because he's still – has more energy than um, pretty much anybody in that locker room. He's a tremendous individual. He loves the game. He knows it very well. He's terrific with the players. They respond to him. He's great with everybody he interacts with on the media side. Uh, Rick is Rick, and you wouldn't want him to be anything else, and he hasn't been since the transition. Yeah, he's he's certainly uh, – and anybody that's come across Rick will tell you he's one of the nicest guys that you'll ever meet in the game and uh, very laid back and easy going. So uh, I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm, I'm, it's glad to see him uh, get another shot uh, as the head guy, even if it's just on an interim basis. Uh, you know, it's really good to see Rick in that position. Um, last question here for you, Josh, before we let you go. Uh, Steven Johns uh, has missed significant time due to injury over the last couple of years, uh, returned just before the break. What can his addition mean to an already strong defensive core for Dallas? It could mean so much, and the Stephen John story is really twofold because there's the, the human interest, personal side of the story, which is really, in all honesty, the bigger side. It's easy to forget that these athletes are human beings first. And he was in a really tough place for 22 months where no one knew if his career would ever resume. No one knew if his life would ever be the same. The amount of physical and emotional pain uh, for basically an injury that's day-to-day -day that winds up lasting almost two calendar years. Um, he talked about the feelings of isolation he has. So for him to be able to come back is just such a remarkable story. And I think that his teammates, uh, many of whom were his teammates before this injury, like they recognize what he's gone through and, and what his return means in that sense. And then once you strip away this incredible personal story, um, his skill set is something that can add a lot to the Stars. The Stars have a clearly defined top three in their blue line, and it's in any particular order because they all three are outstanding. It's John Klingberg, Miro Haskinen, and Essa Lindell. And Steven Johns, on paper, was supposed to round out that top four. And he's a guy who can hit. He's a guy who can skate. He's a guy who can score. He's a guy who can move the puck. He plays at both ends. 
Uh, he can play both ends of special teams if you need him to. Uh, he can eat up minutes when he's healthy. So I think that it, when you look at what he can add emotionally, it's, it's uncharted. And then if you look at what he can add physically for the second half of the season, if he gets back into form, you take what already is one of the top defensive cores and – that's basically like your trade deadline piece on the blue line. And then underneath it, you've got guys like Jamie Alexiak and Roman Polak and Andre Sekera and Taylor Padoon, and all of them are capable NHL defensemen. Some even could be elevated into a top-four role themselves. So uh, the strength of this team is their overall team defense. That includes forwards and goaltending, but their blue line is among the best in the NHL. And then you take a piece of nobody really knew if they were going to get back this season and add it for no cost. I think it's really exciting to think about what he can do and where he can help take this team defensively. Yeah, it's a huge boost, uh, no doubt, uh, to be able to count on a guy who is as talented as he is, uh, who hasn't been a part of, of things the last couple of years. So uh, it'd be nice to see him return to form. I, I think I can speak with a, Lightning, a lot of Lightning fans, though, and, and hope that that actually comes on Wednesday and not necessarily – tonight when, when you guys face the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Josh, I can't thank you enough for your time on a game day. really appreciate the insight. Uh, have a good call tonight. We'll talk down the road. Thanks, Eric. Always a pleasure. All right, that's uh, Josh Bogerard from Dallas Stars, play-by-play television and radio because they do simulcast uh, in Dallas. Um, so he actually will do the radio broadcast tonight as the game is on NBC Sportsnet. All right, let's take a quick break here. A couple of questions and a couple of injury slash line updates taking place in Dallas that we want to get to. So we'll get to that when we come back right after this. Belly up to the bar and order some more lightning talk. Lisa, I want some more. More! This is Lightning Lunch with Eric Erlinson on Lightning Power Play. All right, welcome back to Lightning Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Rollinson from lightninginsider.com. Don't forget we have the last call for you tonight after the game as well. So just keep it locked in here to Lightning Power Play. Uh, myself and Greg Manelli will take your phone calls, your questions, your comments, everything else involving the game. And since you're going to be listening to Power Play anyway, since it's an NBC Sportsnet game, you just, just keep it here. Just keep it locked into Lightning Power Play and just roll right on through to the post-game show uh, with myself and Greg. Of course, Greg has Lightning Power Play live at 6.30 tonight. He has Rick Peckham on with him, as well as Matt DeFranks, who covers the stars for the Dallas Morning News. Uh, so he'll be on with Greg again tonight at 6.30. Uh, pre-game show starts at 7.30, and the broadcast, of course, is at 8. All right, a couple of uh, roster notes. First of all, as I talked about with you guys last Monday, the reassigning of Mitchell Stevens and Luke Shen were salary cap moves. Neither of them uh, played for the crunch over the break. Uh, they were officially recalled this morning. Of course, they were on the ice yesterday as the team did return to practice in Dallas. So, again, Mitchell Stevens and Luke Shen back with the team as was expected. Um, Cedric Paquette, by the way, we had mentioned he left the game against Winnipeg right before the break with what appeared to be a potential ankle injury, lower body injury is what the team called it. Weren't sure. Uh, there was no availability and no opportunity 
to get information on Cedric Paquette's status, but he did practice yesterday. Uh, he is on the ice this morning, uh, back in his usual spot as the third-line center between Alex Kalorn and Pat Maroon. Uh, so Cedric Paquette appears to be perfectly fine. Uh, it was a little worrisome, but then when there were no other call-ups besides Stevens and Shen, that was a good indication that Paquette was probably in good shape. Uh, so he is, again, on the ice and expected to play tonight as Tampa Bay will be in Dallas to face the Stars for an 8 p.m. start. Uh, your lines are the same from before the break. Steven Stamkos with Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov. Andre Palat with Anthony Sorelli coming off his hat trick. And Tyler Johnson mentioned the Kalorn Paquette Maroon line. And then Carter Verhage with Mitchell Stevens and Yanni Gord. Victor Hedman with Jan Ruda. Ryan McDonough with Eric Chernak. Mikhail Sergachev with Kevin Shattenkirk. And then Braden Colburn and Luke Shen were the fourth pairing on defense. Uh, I would assume they'll stick with the regular 12 and 6 format, which would indicate that Colburn and Shen would be the healthy scratches tonight. Andre Vasilevsky, who took part in All-Star Weekend, uh, is expected to be in net for Tampa Bay as well. So it'll be a Ben Bishop versus Andre Vasilevsky kind of night. Um, Follow-up question or comment from Stephanie in regards to the conversation we had about the player tracking uh, technology that is going to be it, it was supposed to have been here this year. They had a setback. They actually changed companies, the league did, with who was providing this technology for them. Uh, so it's been slower than anticipated. Otherwise, this would have been here already. Uh, instead, it's, uh, again, expected to be in place for uh, the entire playoffs starting this year. And then you'll have it, uh, again, starting next year for every team and every broadcast. That's the plan Anyway, uh, and Stephanie says that uh, I have no problem, I have no issue with it being available in an app if you want to check player stats. Again, uh, as long as it's not overly distracting, I don't mind it. I, I don't mind that you can, you know, get a look and, and a quick look. You know, you don't have to necessarily focus in tightly to, to make sure that, sh you know, the player is who you think it is. And again, th this sort of technology... Uh, we, the hardcore fans, are going to want to find those stats, right? Of course. We want we want to dive even deeper into, you know, what takes place in the game, you know, sometimes beyond the score sheet. You know, we even saw in the broadcast uh, on, I, I don't know if it was the, the All-Star game itself or if it was in the skills competition with the women's game. Um, I'm pretty sure it was in the... In the in the actual All-Star game, the zone time. How many times have, have you mentioned, geez, I wonder how much the Lightning have had the puck. You know, we, we track puck possession a lot by shot attempts, right? That's kind of our our new norm for tracking, you know, who has the puck more. Well, now they're actually tracking how long the puck is in each zone. And this is something they used to do way back when, pre-first lockout. This stuff was their zone time. It was actually on the sheet. They tracked how long the puck was in each zone. And that was the measure of puck possession. I know John Tortorella used to love it when they tracked that stat. They did away with it, but we, I saw it up there the other night. I saw it, neutral zone, 
offensive zone for the player or the team. You know, so that stat was there. So we want to consume those type of stats, and there's going to be even more that we may not even be aware of right now. But I don't have a problem as long as it doesn't stay on the screen. I think staying on the screen is way too distracting. If it's up there for a blip, doesn't bother me as much. I know it's going to some people. Cody had an interesting question. And I will answer this because I noticed this today. Cody asks, any word about the new Tesla coil being added to the arena? A video was tweeted out of what looked like uh, one on the ice. Well, we walked out of here last week and we saw the Tesla coil is down. And Connor tried to dare me to go near it. It's like, I'm not going near it. I don't want that thing going off. So we avoided it. So um, I can tell you as I walk back into the rink today, I did look up and notice that the old Tesla coils are not there. There's new ones. So I would have to assume since they're up and in position that they've been tested. I don't think that's going out on much of a limb. But I think you can anticipate and expect when the team comes back from this four-game road trip to host Vegas a week from tomorrow that the new Tesla coils will be in place. They're smaller. I don't know how they work yet, but they're definitely much smaller than the original ones. And, of course, the original ones were put in eight years ago, seven years ago. I think it was eight years ago. I think it was the first full year that Jeff Vinnick uh, had bought the team. That was a, a big idea of uh, Todd Lewicki, who was the CEO at the time. Uh, that was his his big thing was to put those Tesla coils in uh, back then. So uh, expect that they will be in place when the team returns from the four-game road trip that starts tonight in Dallas. They will be in L.A. out in California starting on Wednesday. So uh, get your coffee ready. It's going to be a late night with the team. Uh, again, L.A. Wednesday, that is another NBC game at 10 o'clock. It's actually a joined-in-progress, I think, kind of game. But with Tampa Bay uh, in this market, I think they'll switch over to it, uh, regardless of what goes on with the first game. Uh, they will be in, in, in Anaheim on Friday and then Saturday in San Jose as we turn the calendar to February. Yeah. Just, this doesn't seem right that it needs to be February already. But that's where we are this week. So, again, Tampa Bay is in action tonight at 8 p.m. against the Dallas Stars. Starts a four-game road trip to come out of the break. Lighting 12-2 and two in the last 14 games. And uh, Dallas, by the way, as we mentioned there with Josh a little bit earlier, uh, lost three out of four going into their break, including a 7-0 thumping at the hands of the Minnesota Wild. But this team can play defense, so expect it to be uh, a sloppy game to start and uh, probably a low-scoring affair as well as Ben Bishop and Andre Vasilevsky square off. All right, that's going to wrap up our show today. Uh, we will be back with you tomorrow again at noon. Uh, we'll look back at this game. Um, so get your questions ready. Get your comments ready. Don't forget myself and Greg Vanelli have the last call tonight after the game. So stick around. I'll join Greg pregame as well as intermission as well. All right, thanks to Josh Bogorod from Dallas Play-By-Play uh, -play Guy for joining us on the show today. Thanks to Connor Zulinski for making it all sound good. We'll be back at you tomorrow. So until then. 
Bye-bye, everybody!